This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Sam Abul Samad from Navigant Research. And I'm Rebecca Lindland from Rebecca Drives. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, you guys have been flying all over the place and going to things, and it looks like you've been living quite the life, Rebecca. Um, seems nice look, anyway. Look at that luxury lifestyle in I know. Miami. Don't you like the luxury lifestyle? I know. And if people don't know what we're talking about, I'll do a shameless plug to follow me on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you should definitely follow follow you on Instagram and Twitter. Your Twitter is Rebecca Drives. Yes, as is Instagram as well. Uh, Um, Hashtag traveling girl. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yes, I went down to Florida. I went down to Fort Lauderdale uh, and Boca Raton and I was uh, got a sneak peek at the Lexus LY650 yacht that they brought out and they'll be they'll actually be making the official debut at the Fort Lauderdale boat show at the end of October. I believe it runs from October 30th for the next few days. So that's when it'll be open to the public. So this is a, it's a 65 footer. It's actually, it's just stunningly beautiful. It's actually already sold and they are working on, they have um, three or four more hulls that they're working on. So they believe that it's going to be pretty successful for them. Um, They're making it with marquee yachts out of Wisconsin, Pulaski, Wisconsin specifically. Uh, And it's, uh, it's just gorgeous. I mean, it's, it's a big boat. It's um, it's a what's called a flybridge cruiser. So it has three <laughs> levels to it. Yeah, and it has the appointments down below are like the berth and the head are ju- they're gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. So it was really it was beautiful. But the big question is, did you get to try towing it with an LX? <laughs> There's no towing this boat. It's 65 feet. <laughs> no, I I really want to know. I mean, because. To me, the the sound of the boats was the thing um, when when I was a, a kid. Uh, my grandfather used to go around and freelance. Uh, he was a freelance mechanic on on boats because in the a lot of them at that time had engines very much like the landing craft that he was on in World War II. How funny! Um, and so you know they were all those like GM two stroke diesels. So I'm kind of you know. I want to know what it sounds like, because if it sounds like an 8V71, I'm down with it. If it's if it's quieter than that, uh, I don't know. It's well, it's really quiet in part because they spent a lot of money on the NBH. Yeah, sounds like sounds like Lexus. (laughs) Yes. um, But unfortunately, we really didn't get up to speed at all. So we were just we cruised in the intercoastal and that was it. They didn't bring us out into the water at all. Well, I mean, there was like, aren't there hurricanes out there to dodge right now? Pesky, pesky hurricanes. Yeah. And algal, <laughs> algal blooms and Just stuff. a little rain and wind. Yeah. You know, exactly. So while, yeah. you, while we're blowing our, our intro, um, I actually been meaning to ask. So uh, we're podcasters uh, and, and we drive a lot. We travel a lot. I was curious if you guys actually have any podcasts that you regularly listen to as you are driving around or doing whatever it is that uh, makes it conducive to podcast listening. Wow. You're really throwing us off, aren't you? I'm just, I'm it's the end of the work, end of the work week. Um, <laughs> I, I have my list in front of me that I didn't have the last time. I was like, Oh, I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to talk about that. So 
You know, you could have shared that list. I could I have. Don't, actually. <laughs> um, well, I and I I feel like I feel very hypocritical saying this, but you know, I think it's something that um if I had a regular commute, and granted, you could say that my airplane rides are regular commutes. Um, but it's something that for some reason I I never really got into, and I wish I did. Because, you know, obviously we create content. I love I love the content that we create and I love other people's content. I just don't, I, I like the concept of it, but I, it's like exercise. I like the concept <laughs> of it. The reality is it just doesn't happen. Well, there's, there's no shame in that. You know, it's, it's funny. Like I, I, I work in TV and I, there, like, I legitimately don't watch any TV. Right. It doesn't even go on. People are like, what shows are you watching? I'm reading books. Um, uh, but I, I, Sam, I know you listen to a bunch. I, I do. I mean, I, I have about 90 odd podcasts in my subscription list and pocket casts. Um, you know, and I don't, I don't necessarily listen to every episode of everyone. Uh, there are, you know, there's probably a couple dozen in there that I listen to every episode. And then there's others that I listen to sporadically, you know, based on, on what the topic is or the content is, uh, you know, and it, it ranges all over the map from tech podcasts to, um, you know, just general conversation stuff, some pop culture stuff. Uh, you know, so I've, I've got, you know, I'm just looking at, uh, the pocket casts, uh, screen here on my phone, you know, so I've got, you know, things like, uh, the accidental tech podcast, uh, with our, our buddy Casey listen and his pals. Um, you know, then I've got stuff like, um, the back to work podcast with Merlin Mann, um, the slate culture gab fest. Um, interestingly, the, the only car podcast that I listen to on a regular basis is the Marshall Pruitt podcast. Uh, Marshall writes for, uh, racer.com and, and some other outlets. Uh, and he does a really good, um, uh, uh, this week in sports cars podcast and inside the sports car paddock podcast. Uh, but you know, it's, it's kind of all over the map. You know, there's some, some news stuff, uh, you know, and it's, it's just, you know, everywhere. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that you don't listen to too many automotive podcasts. I will sometimes listen to like auto line, uh, the smoking tire occasionally, but, uh, generally I'm also not listening to, um, to automotive podcasts. I, I, I tend to be really geeky. So I'll listen to a bunch of history podcasts and my favorite is, um, hub history, which is a Boston centric one, which is really quite interesting. And there's um, the American Revolution. He's actually, uh, <laughs> it's very, very in-depth. So that one's great because if I just, if I get bored in traffic, I know there's an episode I can listen to. And it's it's very, very uh, detailed step through leading up to the revolution and then through it, which is great because my kids are doing that uh, sort of unit in in their history class at school so i can see if what they're being taught lines up with the actual reality from historian um which is so that's that's interesting and and then there's there's other um industry ones that i listen to i'll listen to the tape op podcast so if you're into like music production and um like the recording of of uh al- albums and sort of uh your your buddy elliot uh rebecca would be good for tape op um yeah. <laughs> but so tape op is this really, really cool magazine, uh, that's very like in, in industry insider for recording and studios and engineers. And, and, uh, so it's full of a lot of great information and they launch a podcast. So they, they do interviews with, f- uh, 
producers and uh, engineers and even artists. So that, that one's really, really interesting. Um, and then uh, the, <laughs> there's a go creative show, which is just video production and stuff. And it, that's a guy I actually know. And uh, there's also the last one I was listening to was a TV guidance counselor, which is, is pretty funny. So um, um, is Hey Sam is, is Marshall Pruitt, Scott Pruitt's brother? No, 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 no relation to, uh, to Scott. Oh, how funny. <laughs> oh, that is just, really funny. Just happens to have the same last name. Well, and even spelled the same. Yeah. You know? But, oh, that's uh, really yeah. funny. Well, Scott was at the, um, he was actually at our Lexus event and he was, he was lovely and we had really nice wine. And so, oh, that's funny. Okay. I won't digress. No, yeah, no, well, that's fine. No, no more than we have so far right. for the first yeah, uh, exactly. what, 10 minutes of this. Well, but you know, it's interesting. And I wanted to, I, I thought it was interesting and we should talk about, you know, some of those other things because people find our podcast through other podcasts. So I thought maybe mm-hmm. we could share. And um, uh, now people need to tell us what we should tell you to listen to Rebecca. So yes. exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, maybe, I, I, maybe we should, uh, yeah. I mean, maybe we should post our, uh, our podcast uh, subscription list on the site as well. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. That is a great idea. Um, All right. Well, you know, let's get back on track now. (laughs) (laughs) A little detour. Yeah. um, So it's it's, that's what driving's all about. Right. You know, take take detours off into different places. We'll get there. Absolutely. So, Sam, I I wanted to go first with you with what you had this week to drive, because um, I think both Rebecca and I had had the uh, Kia Telluride uh, as well. And I do think we were both very impressed with it. So wanted to see how, how you think of it. I too was very impressed with it. Um, you know, when I, when I saw it in person, you know, I would, one of the things I've been noticing about a lot of these bigger crossovers lately is that they don't seem to be as, as tall as they used to be. Um, they're, they seem to be transforming into something, uh, more, uh, how, what shall I say? station wagon like i was just saying because they're wagons <laughs> yeah never say that <laughs> um yeah no heaven forbid we should actually call it that but um no i i you know i like the you know in terms of the height and everything you know i think it's very usable uh you know it's it's very roomy inside i you know i crawled into the the third row seat as i did uh previously with the um uh, the Palisade, the Hyundai Palisade, which shares its basic platform uh, with this one. Uh, you know, it's, so it's roomy inside. One of the things I, I really like about this one uh, is the the seats uh, in the SX trim level that I was driving uh, have adjustable thigh supports, uh, power adjustable thigh supports, which makes it much more comfortable for people of different statures like such as Rebecca and myself, you know, so someone whose legs aren't quite as long, you know, can retract the, the thigh support and, you know, move the seat forward and, and still be comfortable. Whereas someone uh, who has a greater distance between their hip and their, their knee, um, you know, can stretch that out a little more, you know, to get extra, extra comfort there. So I, that's something that I always appreciate in cars and not very many vehicles, um, especially mainstream vehicles have that feature in there. So I always like it when that's available. Um, that's the one. I'm sorry. This and to your point, the Telluride is the one that I had to put. It, I did about five hours of driving early one morning on Saturday of Memorial Day weekend, and I felt great when I got back. So to your point, the seats were incredibly comfortable, and I just looked back and I did have the SX as well. So I had the same ones, and they were just incredibly comfortable. 
Yeah, no, it's, you know, it's, it's a nice, really nice vehicle to ride in. Got lots of room inside there. You know, we had it, um, when we had, we had it, uh, was it over the Labor Day weekend? Maybe, no, maybe it's, I guess the week after that, but, uh, you know, I, I put a whole bunch of stuff in the back there, you know, even with the third row seat up in position, there's still a decent amount of cargo space in the back. Uh, you know, I think there's about 18 cubic feet behind the third row seat. So you've got enough room for like four carry on bags easily in there. So, you know, it's, it's a very usable vehicle. You know, this one was pretty much, you know, pretty close to maxed out, you know, with all the available features and it came to about $48,000, which, you know, is not inexpensive, but then again, when you compare it to the new Explorer, uh, you know, at that price point, you're getting more stuff than you're getting in a $48,000 Explorer. Um, although, you know, the Explorer does extend higher up, you know, the, the trim levels than you can go with a Telluride. Uh, you know, you've got the, the platinum trim and, and the ST that, you know, get you well up into the $50,000 range. So, so but, yeah, but with the Explorer, so the platinum, does it feel that much better than the Kia? The thing that impressed me so much about the not, Kia was that it feels, no, it doesn't looks and feels That's, so nice. Yeah. And I would say that it doesn't necessarily feel that much more premium or the Ford doesn't necessarily feel that much more premium than this one does. Um, and in fact, you know, this one actually feels a bit roomier inside than the Explorer did. You know, it felt, felt feels a little wider and I'm not, you know, it's been a few months since I was in the Explorer. So I have to go back and take a look at it again. But, um, you know, and I think, I think it might actually be slightly wider than the Explorer was. Uh, so, you know, that, that may be why it actually felt that way, or at least it felt more open in the cabin area. Yeah. The cabin that had- just felt like a Volvo to me. It just felt, it just, I'm so impressed with the design and the, the materials and, and just what Kia has done with the Telluride. It, it feels more expensive than it is. Yeah, I, I agree. I, it's one of my favorite, really one of my favorite vehicles that have, that's come out recently. And for whatever reason, I, I think I like it more than the Palisade, although the Palisade's fantastic, but I don't know. I just I really I was sad to see this Telluride go. I really enjoyed driving it. And yeah, that's a great vehicle. What um I was I, it's funny you mentioned the the Palisade. I was wondering sort of how they they compare. I haven't had a Palisade yet, but they are the same basic vehicle but you, they they can be different. You know, on the on the same hardware. Yes, yeah. I mean, I, ahead, I know the the um, Palisade had a few other features that the Telluride does not, but not very like things like the um, power third row. I think. Yeah. Right. Um, there was a couple of things, but overall, I mean, I don't think you can go wrong with either one. Yeah, and um, you know the the Palisade the Palisade, you know, it's. The, the way its interior is done is a little bit different. You know, uh, I, I, in some, it feels, um, almost more Lincoln like, you know, it's a little, little flashier, a little more Chrome than what you find in the Telluride. Um, so, you know, it, in some, in some ways it feels a little more, uh, like more traditional luxury, I would say. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right, Sam. And I think looking at the exterior design also, it's almost more infinity-like, whereas I think the Telluride is uh, more trucky and a little bit more muscular in feel rather than pure elegant like the Palisade. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, well, it, it's in the burgeoning field of three row crossovers that are station wagons and all but name. Um, <laughs> the, the Telluride is really tough to beat. You know, I it, it made me I was thinking about the Telluride when I was driving the, the Cadillac XD6 because the things that the Telluride does really well for actually less money are that third row access is better in in the Telluride. Um, and, uh, it, it actually feels quite premium where the, the Cadillac f- feels premium too, but it, it not in the same way. Yeah. And it, and does, that, it doesn't it feel more. premium in the way that you expect a Cadillac to feel it. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's, it was one of those things where like they may have put in premium and they did, they it has, because you can't, you can't get the leather uppers and stuff on the sort of base model XT six. You have to upgrade. Um, but the, the Telluride, just the materials and the colors and all of those choices, it to the, to just clap eyes on that interior. It, it looks premium. Um, no matter what it costs, it's just, it looks good. Whereas the, the XT6 interior and, and GM just in general, I don't know if this is the press cars that they're doing this with or the stuff they actually put out on the street. Like they have this thing for black interiors now and it's, just it's tough to really get a feel for how good those materials actually are if it's all black uh and it's not as striking and when you're selling something like a luxury car the design and the way it looks is you know the impression it makes is is important so uh yeah the, the, yeah and you want some contrast too yeah. like I, I just the piano black is getting so old i think that people are really looking for more warmth in their vehicles, more warmth and less fingerprints, actually. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, that, that mix of materials now at the same time, I will say that I think sometimes it can be almost too complicated. You know, like I just had the, I had the Subaru uh, Forester, which was a lot of fun, but it had like five different textures on the doors alone. I mean, it just (laughs) seemed like I was like, okay, let's just decide what we're going to do here. So I think there's a balance. I just, I, what I'm, what I am finding, and I think we've talked about this before with the GM interiors, you just feel like the accountants had the last say mm-hmm. and that's always disappointing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm actually, I'm right now I'm looking at on my screen at the, uh, the interior of the Palisade and the Telluride side by side and looking at the differences and, you know, a couple of notable differences between the two, the Palisade uh, uses push button shift as opposed to the traditional uh, shift lever that's in the, in the Telluride and oh, the, te- okay. and uh, the Telluride, you know, has the standalone screen, you know, that's standing up, you know, like a tablet on top of the dashboard. Whereas in the Palisade, it's more um, integrated. Uh, you know, there, there's a um, basically a bezel that comes around the instrument cluster and extends out over the center of the dash uh, and the the screen is integrated into that, so it looks like it more like one big piece, kind of like the recent Mercedes Benz models, where you have w- one big panel that stretches across in front of the driver and across the center of the dashboard, and there's two displays embedded in there: a digital dis- digital cluster and um, and the, and then the the main infotainment screen. And in the the Telluride or in the Palisade. Um, also has a, a digital instrument cluster as opposed to the analog cluster that's in the in the Telluride, so it's a little bit different feel and character to it. 
Yeah, I like the integrated screen as that the Palisade has, as opposed to when it sort of looks like it's, it is, as I said, it looks like a tablet, like you could bring your own tablet and stick it in the dash in the center console. I like the way that they've done the, um, the integration of the screens. And, you know, looking again at the Palisade interior, it's, it's really, really well done. The big center console, you know, but the, I have the one that I have has the light colored uh, open pore wood, which is just gorgeous. And there's really almost no black in it to our point about, about General Motors. And I would love to see GM do some, some really beautiful light colored interiors. Cause then you can appreciate what the materials are. Yeah. And I mean, Infinity sends out press cars with just like white, legitimately white interiors, which is bonkers. Yeah, unapologetic. Yeah. You sit on them with a new white, pair of blue absolutely. jeans and you like, you know, <laughs> it leaves a blue. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what, you know, what? oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just looking at the, um, the, one of the press, one of the pictures that Hyundai supplied where it shows the quilting on the door. Mm -hmm. And if you covered up the badge on the steering wheel, you could easily assume that this would be a Lincoln interior as well. Yeah. And one of the interesting details on the Palisade, uh, and I don't remember if the, the tell or, or rather interesting detail on the Telluride, I don't remember if the Palisade had this, was USB ports for the rear seat passengers are on the, the back of the seat, on the back of the front seats, uh, on the, the inside edges. So yes. where you have the plastic that covers the back of the seat and has the pocket in there and there's a hook to hang a, you know, purse or bag or anything on, on there to, uh, on the in, inner edge, you know, so facing towards the center of the car is where you'll find a USB port. The, you know, if you've got kids riding in the back, they can plug in their, their devices and charge them off of that. So that's very handy there. And, you know, or if you have something, you know, a screen that you're hanging off the back of the seat, you know, you can plug it in there to charge as well. Yeah. yeah I really, it's a great I placement. Love, it's I not, love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not immediately obvious, but I, I believe the Palisade has that the pictures that I'm looking at that I took don't highlight that. So I'm not hundred percent sure, but, um, but it's a really cool feature for sure. That they're killing it. So let's talk about what you've been driving, Rebecca. Anything fun or has it been like uh, airplanes mostly? <laughs> I feel like it's been airplanes mostly. Uh, you know what I've got right now is the Toyota Sienna. And to be fair, <laughs> I don't I don't have uh, the specs with me. But, you know, it's it's so funny driving around in a minivan because obviously I'm not your typical minivan driver. <laughs> And it's, I mean, wow, they just get no respect. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're supposed to drive them very aggressively. Oh, I'm driving them like Breaking Bad. Oh, Excellent. no, unapologetic. <laughs> <laughs> like, I remember when minivans were the, the popular thing to hate before it was SUVs. And there were there were articles about how, you know, they're just they're dangerous and crashes because they have that short nose. So they don't absorb any impact and, or as much impact energy and stuff. It's like looking back now, it's so kind of ridiculous to, to see how hated they were. Um, I know the, they, they still are though. I yeah, feel oh, like they still are. They, they definitely like they're a utilitarian vehicle and the Sienna. So the Sienna is a good van, but uh, speaking of interiors, how's uh, 2010 treating you? 
Yeah. Oh my <laughs> gosh. This thing doesn't have, so there's a couple, let me, before I, I because they, they've actually drive shop has been good enough to let me keep it for two weekends also, as we're clearing out my mother's house. So it's been a huge help. Like there's nothing like a minivan for moving mm. and, you know, and for hauling stuff and kids. Um, but there's a couple things. First, the, there's no place to put your phone. They have like a little, there's, there's in the center console, there's a, a large cover over a big bin, but the cover isn't deep enough to put your phone. Like you could lay it on top of it, but as soon as you start driving, that phone goes flying. And it's, you know, and this is, you know, this is one of the realities of, of our world today is that I want my phone nearby, you know, for whatever reason. And so there's just no safe place. The cup holders are not large enough for the phone, you know, and you end up kind of just putting it wherever, as opposed to having a designated place for it, which I would like. The other thing, and again, it's maybe a little bit not entirely fair because I haven't, uh, I've been traveling while I've had it and I haven't had time to really sit with it, but I got to tell you the seats. So have you guys had this vehicle before? Yeah. Uh, I haven't driven a Sienna in like six or seven years. I think I had one to drive last year. Okay. So we wanted to get a queen size mattress, a box spring rather into the back of this vehicle. And we currently cannot get the seats. All they do is track forward as opposed to like flipping, folding up and getting and hugging the back seat of the driver's side. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like we're trying what, to get what, it. what you need is a Chrysler minivan with stow and go seats. Exactly. Or, or, yes. or an Odyssey, you know, Honda Odyssey, yes. the, the third row seats flip back into that bin, that, that, yes. um, that well so at the back. The third, so the third row seats go flat. We don't have any issue with those third row seats. It's the second row. Okay. That I'll take a picture of it for you guys. The second row, the seats, like the, the bottom. So the seat cushion flips up, but the yep. back can only push forward. And you can only get it as like, there's always like a six inch gap. So we have not been, we've been driving back and forth from my sisters to my mom's, which fortunately is under a mile on a side road. And we've not been able to put the back down. Like we haven't been able to, to lower the back. Uh, are and are have, the second row seats with, not fully removable? They are fully removable, but they're heavy. First okay. of all. Right. And, and sometimes we bring pain. three people over, you know, and it, it's like, I just, I don't know. I haven't had this experience with these types of seats where they don't, they're just in the way. I don't get it. And, and I, again, to be fair, I was going to reach out to Corey from Toyota to be like, what am I doing wrong here? But I, I don't know. I'm the functionality of this vehicle is, is really pretty disappointing because otherwise I think it's great. I mean, otherwise it's been fun to drive and, you know, I'll even drive it on the, on the twisties, you know, like coming home, um, I'll you know go the parkway and then come the back way. Yeah. But, um, I've just been a little bit disappointed in the functionality. I feel like every minivan should fit a full size box spring. <laughs> well, can you, can you recline the seat, second row seat backs all the way down? Not really. Trying to fold them. Yeah, see? I know. I'll send a picture so we can post it. The Yeah, the solution is just to light it on fire. Be like, yeah. you know what? It, it made me angry. You can't. Come <laughs> on. I mean, I, I'm very grateful for the fact that we've been able to keep it. 
Um, yeah, so I had that, and then I also had the um, the Forester, uh, which which was good fun. You know, it, it's it, it's so funny because it's sort of the antithesis of the minivan in terms of respect because there's the whole club. You know, like oh, look how smart you are. You must must be in academia because you have a Forester. <laughs> yeah. Which is, is there a Forester wave? Like there's a Jeep Wrangler wave. No, there is not. And I'm a little surprised by that. There should be. You should make oh, one no. up. You got to be careful when you're gesturing at people. <laughs> <laughs> do, do, you wear, do you wear a tweed jacket with uh, elbow patches while you drive it? No, but I do try and smoke a cigar. Okay. <laughs> okay. What, what kind of cigar? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Good Macanudo or something? Or? No, I mean, you know what? I just... I really enjoy, I, I mean, I, ha- I hadn't driven Foresters in years. I hadn't driven any Subarus actually in years. And so it's been really fun to get reacquainted with the brand, you know, whether it's through the Outback um, that I went on, on the launch for, or, you know, or the, this Forester now. And again, I just think, you know, it's just a good solid vehicle. It's, it's such a reliable brand and, and it attracts dogs. And so that's fun, you know? <laughs> As long as you're into that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. I, the Forester is just, it's sort of matured, you know, it's become more, more solid and uh, classier and every, every generation, but still a Forester. So well, it is. And, you know, I like, I like that it kind of has this like blackout mode to it. And, and, you know, again, the interior, the fit and finish is durable without being cheap. And I don't know. I just had a lot of fun with it. I was, yeah. you know, I thought that it, it, there was a lot of really good things about it. And I like the size of it. The size was really great. It's got some nice ground clearance up to nine, almost nine inches of ground clearance. It's uh, impressive for a smaller crossover like that. Well, it is exactly. It is. So, you know, overall, obviously, you know, it was a little bit loud. They could work on some of that, some of the, uh, you know, the road noise and such, but, you know, really overall, I think it was just a, it was just a good vehicle. I I will agree. I haven't had a Forester in a while, but uh, I generally tend to like Subarus when they arrive to drive. They're, yeah. they're good cars. Yeah. The, I was, I was quite pleased with it. The brand is growing. So people are. The brand is growing like crazy. What was that stat? Who they outsold somebody recently? I mean, yeah, it was so Volkswagen. Volkswagen. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, in, in August they they beat Volkswagen. Yeah, I mean that's just incredible. Um, and so speaking of Volkswagen, I was driving the uh, the Audi Q3, which is oh how fun! Yeah. How'd you like it? Ah, so I love that car. <laughs> well, it looks great. It's and a this dance size crossover. Yeah, it is. Um, it, this one was a bright Smurfy blue, which is nice. Yep, uh, I really, color. really, I love the design. Uh, yeah. It's still an Audi. It's got some crispness to it. Uh, you know, it's just, it's not gaudy like BMWs have gotten. So it's, it's classy. It's, uh, you know, a compact luxury crossover and this was an S line. So it, it looked even that much better. Um, and it, you know, the, the good is that it, it, it rides well, it handles well. The steering was much better than what we've come to expect from, uh, the, the, German field lately where they're getting more and more numb. Um, this one 
the weight is satisfying. There's feedback. Uh, the the ride and handling is just pretty well buttoned down. It's a little little bastard wants to just run. It would it would clip along on the highway like, uh, very very high speeds, shall we say? <laughs> uh, very solid. You more could, than adequate speeds. Yes, you could make very confident lane changes. Um, with the needle indicating much more uh, velocity than is prudent <laughs> and That's it would way to put it. <laughs> yeah it would it would not be a problem um yeah and it was it was entertaining i didn't realize this till the last day i had it but if you if you gave it a good sharp bit of steering input around a sweeping curve like an off-ramp you could get it to slide all four wheels in a very oh. hilarious entertaining way nice yeah very that doesn't good. happen very often anymore no usually it just understeers and it's just but this it, it it would play along and so i was like man i wish i knew that earlier in the week <laughs> that's uh, awesome yeah uh the the other thing i liked was that the new mmi is actually it, it's a touchscreen system now uh so their their controller isn't like it was uh but it's responsive it's pretty pretty quick it's pretty easy to figure out so it's still a touchscreen but it's not that complicated i think they've done a pretty good job of uh evolving it it's none of them are perfect we've got complaints about all of these touchscreen systems but as far as um mmi goes it it's turned into something that's 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 pretty good and and very competitive with the rest of the field um although it's it still loses a little bit to iDrive in terms of the amount of ways you can get input into the system. I, but again, I, I, once you get comfortable with it, I don't know how much of an issue that is. And the screen itself is very responsive and it, it, it didn't lag. Like when you ask it to do something, some of these systems, it's like you waiting for them to think like it's, you know, a, a 386 computer. Uh, so. <laughs> well, l- l- later on we'll, we'll get to a, a user interface that is quite different from anything that you've ever tried before. And, I'll give you some impressions of that. Yes, I'd love to hear about that. Um, it, the 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 sort of low points for the Q3 are, I think the main thing is that it's just not, it's not much better than a GTI when you get right down to it. It's stylish and it's got the outiness to it, but in terms of driving, a, a GTI does all this stuff too for less money and yeah. probably has more room. But you know what, though? I think that, I mean, thinking back, I went on the Audi Q3 launch and I can see that being a, a, this is going to sound bad. I can see some buyers taking that attitude, but I feel like this is the difference between wanting a luxury vehicle and a non-lux vehicle and being willing to pay for it. Like, I, yeah. well, except that the VWs, you know, especially golfs, you know, not, not always necessarily with the Jettas, but with the golfs, you know, and, and most other VWs, they, they've had a, generally a more premium feeling interior than, you know, other competitive, you know, other competitive vehicles. And of course, you know, that, you know, is usually meant that they've been priced a little higher, but they've, they've generally been a lot more affordable than Audis. I mean, myself, you know, back way back in the day when we bought a Passat, you know, we were in the, the showroom, you know, and it was a joint Volkswagen Audi showroom. And there was an A4 sitting there next to a Passat. And, you know, you, there wasn't really that much to choose from them. And I think 
you know, to a large degree, that's often still the case. You know, I mean, the Audis today, I think, are more upmarket in their interiors, but, you know, v, the comparable mm. VWs are still pretty good. See, and that was my second problem with it was that performance. And I can understand your, your point, um, Rebecca, about, uh, you know, there's Audi people and there's VW people. And if your complaint is that it's not much better than the GTI, you're never going to buy the Audi anyway. Um, exactly. I mean, I just, I loved, I think this car is such a great urban vehicle and they always try and they being the market marketers always try and say, Oh, this vehicle is great for urban. But this one actually was, I mean, I drove around Nashville in this thing in a city that I don't know and never felt like I was, you know, like if I wanted to make a quick turn because we were lost or because we gotten off track or something, I just felt like all the responsiveness that I would want was there and the zippiness that I wanted. And I just, I loved this interior, that orange Alcantara suede on the dashboard. You're not going to find that in a GTI. Yeah, that's true. And and I was texting, it's funny. I was texting uh, George Kennedy about it Uh as well. And I was like, this is a great urban vehicle. And it's, and we, we agreed on that. But so the, the problem with it in an urban situation is that it its transmission is just stupid about the one, two upshift. It just like it lurches. And I was like, what is going on with this? Like it legitimately feels like it's just like you'll be accelerating and it'll just pause. Like you'll move in the seat <laughs> when it shifts. Is this, and it'll, is this one uh, an Astronic? Uh, or DSG? No, it was Yeah, it, we didn't. We didn't have that at all. It was just a right. So maybe this, maybe that's specific to this particular car. Yeah, because um, well, because I was with uh, Tyler Tate was my drive partner, and he's actually done a good amount of performance driving, and he didn't mention, I I didn't notice it, and he didn't mention it either at all. This so this one just felt super confused in a bunch of situations hmm. where I was just like the 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 performance is great, but the transmission is dumb. It's great on the highway. <laughs> Um, but in town where it's shifting one, two a lot, it was just like, well, that sucks. Cause the rest of it's great in town. It's a, it's a little weapon. In, yeah. In right. That's um, so interesting. Well, so, you know, there, there, there is another important distinction between the Q3 and a GTI that plaid, uh, really, well, no, <laughs> the, uh, the, the Q3 only comes in all wheel drive and the GTI is front wheel drive only. Yeah. I, and I get it. That's also another selling point. Uh, and it's probably, uh, some, some performance. Like I talked about the way it'll, it'll do that drift for you. Um, I, the, the GTI may understeer a little bit more at that point. Um, I, that's maybe not a huge fact. I'd have to drive them back to back to see what the, the difference is. Uh, but that is, that is a good point. And this one didn't have that, that classy orange Alcantara. And this was all a, another all black interior. And that was my, my other point was it just doesn't, it doesn't feel more upscale than a Volkswagen. In fact, there were some places where it was just cheap plastic trim. I didn't like how they've got the volume knob is a further reach than the fan control. Sure. So I, yeah. I kept, I you know, like that. ergonomics were confusing. It just, so there were areas where you could see all the way through to like a VW Polo. <laughs> and I was like, Ooh, um, oh, come on. <laughs> Well, just, hey, I mean, this is built on the MQB platform, which is used for everything from the Polo up to the Atlas. Yeah. I know, but the but the materials though were better than that. I, yeah, I 
<laughs> I wish I had the one that you had because it sounds like it had a nicer interior. This cabin yeah. wasn't quite, I, I did, it had, it had the wood. I liked the wood. I liked the, um, the way the Quattro, uh, badge that's on the dash would light up at, at night and right. uh, it lights up in the, the color that you pick for the other ambient illumination, which I shut off. I spent most of the first couple hours I drove it trying to figure out how to shut all that stuff <laughs> off. It's so bright inside. Um, but it, you know, it, it's, it has a nice atmosphere that way. So. So I, mine, the one that I drove actually had very little wood. It mostly had, uh, like a flat mat, like, you know, quote carbon fiber. Yeah, kind of this, thing. That's the, the one with the orange. Yeah. But again, it wasn't it wasn't that annoying glossy piano black that I don't like. Right. Uh, it was it's like a matte finish on yes. everything, which is nice, it's classy. Yeah, I um, like that. Yeah. So I just again, I just I feel like I mean, I feel like there's in this in this size there's not a lot of really really good little cars, little SUVs, and I just felt like this was one of them. I did think it's a, it's definitely a good choice. I would pick it, probably pick it over the X1 or the X2. And I would definitely pick it over the XT, the Cadillac XT4. But we'll go into that next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I don't think the Cadillacs even. I I I wouldn't even think to cross those two. Like, well, it's it's pretty close markets. to the target market. I mean, this target market is smaller households, singles, women. You know, and. And I, yeah. So, I mean, I think this, this is the size that is intended for people like me and I would very happily take a Q3. Would you take this over your Buick Encore? Yes. <laughs> I love my little Coco, but I would okay. love to get the Q3. Okay. All right. I, oh, and, and the, the transmission, by the way, is uh, just a standard uh, eight speed torque converter automatic. Yeah, so maybe this one was just confused. Yeah, Tiptronic. Yeah, I, I I can't say that they all do it, but this one definitely had some behavior issues. Mm. So, if you're in this market, drive everything because the the driving experience of the Q3 was was superior, I think, to um, a lot of the competition. Yeah, exactly. Entertained. So, yeah. Sam. You get to spend time with the 2024 Escape, and actually, Rebecca and I both did. Yeah, uh, that's well she, right. We were there on uh, on subsequent waves. Oh, you weren't on the same wave. You couldn't coordinate. No. Did no. you? Were there? Did you um, send um, pictures back and forth about the appalling influencers that were on either of the waves? Uh, there <laughs> like, were so this many influencers swearing. on my wave, but there, there there were some, but not 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 as many. I, I, they didn't seem to be as annoying as they were to Rebecca. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you, now you're going to have to tell us a story about the annoying influencer. Do you get the questions? The questions are great. No, I didn't have, I mean, I was with, I was with Carrie Kim from auto by tell and she's awesome. Oh, okay. So we tried to stay away from them. <laughs> and, and Ron sessions and I hung out together. So, you know, yeah, it's, uh, it's always amusing when we're, we're at a presentation or something. And, and those, you know, some of us will text back and forth and because the questions they get asked is like, you could read the media site. Every once in a while, buddy, instead of asking yeah. these questions about specs, like, you know, like, you know, that press release, they emailed you last week right. and you know, all, all the fact sheets and all that stuff. You could have read those before you got here. It's just, it's <laughs> like, it just winds up being a bunch of guys trying to ask gotcha questions. It's like, settle down, Walter Cronkite. And just... <laughs> they did have a pretty significant display though. I mean, they, yeah. it was, they went through a lot of stuff. They did. They went through a lot of stuff. I was sort of, they, I don't remember now. I think I think 
flew in in the morning and then they grabbed me right away and walked me through that big like kind of ballroom area where they had all sorts of things and it it was a lot to take in but it well, was so good, yeah what, what did they it's just an important car for ford first of all yeah it's, and it's it's the only flavor of focus we're gonna get uh for, at least for for, now. for the foreseeable future anyway um, yeah so what did they go through with it with you guys they, they, you know, they reviewed, you know, kind of the, the overall things that they changed on the vehicle. You know, they did a little design walk around. Uh, they talked about the interior, you know, some of the, the some of the big features of this thing, um, you know, that have changed. It's got sliding rear seats now uh, that slide back and forth six inches. Uh, so you can get, you know, uh, quite a bit more cargo space if you need it, you know, and sacrifice a little bit of rear seat leg room. Um, one of the big changes to this thing you know it's about two inches longer than before and also about an inch and a half shorter or about no about sorry about half an inch shorter so it's not as tall as it used to be but the the side glass is quite a bit larger the belt line is significantly lower than in Good. the old escape finally and, i hated the old and escape that's, that's, and that's especially <laughs> important if you're sitting in the in the back row uh because you know if you remember the old escape you know the belt line really kind of swept up towards the back of the car and so you really felt hemmed in in the back seat, and that's much less of an issue now on on the new one. But so, they, yeah, and they did a nice job though of of keeping it looking attractive. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't feel like the design was compromised. And usually, like it was all, it used to always be about the narrow belt line and or the narrow greenhouse. Yeah, no, and now it's the exact opposite. They've gone the other direction with it, which I think is great. Um, and it was it felt much more pleasant to drive than before. You know, and the, the interior design, uh, you know, it's, it's more horizontal now, which gives it more of a feeling of width. Uh, and the, the, the vehicle is a little bit wider than before by about an inch, I, I think by about an inch. Um, but it feels wider and more open than before, um, you know, because of the, the horizontal lines. So, you know, I think everything about it generally works better. Uh, you know, like, you know, most other modern vehicles, it's got the stand up, uh, you know, tablet style display on top of the dash, you know, which keeps it closer to your line of sight. So you're not looking down as much when you have to glance over at it. Um, you know, I, I don't know about you, Rebecca, but the thing that Ron and I both noticed about it while, you know, like the top surfaces were all soft touch materials, the, the lower surfaces were, um, you know, especially along the, the center console were hard plastics. Yeah. And you know, when you reach down there, you know, you can definitely feel that. And, you know, I got to thinking about this, you know, you know, previously we had talked about the, the Mazda CX five and complained, you know, that it was getting too pricey, you know, but it, you know, compared to this one, it does feel the Mazda definitely feels more upscale than this one does, even though this is much better than it was. It's not quite up to the standard of the Mazda, even though it's, you know, at about roughly the same price point now. Yeah. So uh, I actually don't feel so bad about the Mazda's pricing anymore. Well, what, what is the it. price point? What what do these cost? Uh, they started, I think the base it's, S starts at about 24000 Yeah, the base is 24885 Right. And then, you know, uh, a loaded titanium will get you up to, you know, uh, almost, almost, no, uh, if you load it up with all the options, like the, the oh yeah, the, it starts uh, at 33, four. Yeah. It goes up over 38, you know, up almost to 39,000. So yeah. it's, it's not inexpensive, but, uh, interestingly, the, the titanium, 
um, the ba- the standard engine, the standard powertrain in the Titanium is the hybrid, and the two liter turbo is an extra cost option in the Titanium. Right. Well, so that that's the thing that they um, they've got two hybrid versions, right? They've got a the full hybrid and the plug in. Right. Uh, the plug in is coming in the spring. Uh, yeah, so, it's not available yet. Right. But the only the only difference between that the plug-in and the one they have now is the battery size. So the plug-in has a larger battery. Uh, we still don't know what size that battery is going to be uh, or what the range is going to be. We expect the range is probably going to be somewhere in the 25 to 30 mile range. Um, but, you know, for now you can get the hybrid. And so, you know, we had an opportunity. Most of our driving on the first day uh, was in the two liter turbo. And at our lunch stop, they, um, they had, uh, <clears throat> had a couple, had a few of the 1.5 liters, uh, to take out for just quick loops around the, the town where we were having our lunch, um, or our, our driver change. And then, um, the second day we drove the hybrid and, uh, you know, the, the one five is now the previous escape had a one five turbo as well, but that was a four cylinder. The new one is a three cylinder. And did you get a chance to drive that one, Rebecca? I did. I drove all three engines. Uh, what did you think of the one five? You know, I thought it was overall, I thought it was fine. It was definitely whiny. You know, you could, I mean, I felt like the, it kind of compromised on some of the overall experience and it was admittedly quite a short drive, but you know, I didn't hate it as much as I thought I might for, you know, for such a size, but I thought it was totally adequate. If, if you're in that price point, that $27,000, $28,000 price point, you know, or, or even 25 for the S for the base model, I thought it was totally fine. Yeah. I mean, it, it's 180 horsepower. You yeah. Know, so, you know, it's got, it's got plenty of power. It's, that's not an issue. It's not quite as smooth as the two liter, you know, you right. can, you can feel a little bit of the the three cylinder shake, even though it has a balance shaft. There was uh, some refinement issues more than anything, yeah. more than power. Yeah. It's and yeah, we it's, all it's, have some refinement issues from time <laughs> to time. That's, that is true. <laughs> I hang out with you guys. Yeah, <laughs> Make, makes makes Rebecca feel better about herself. Yeah, I, you know what? As long as the, that's fine. Uh, that's a service we can provide. Um, so is that that's an evolution though problem. of the the one liter. Tri- triple that they were using this, this, for this. Yeah. Th- this is not related to the one liter turbo. Oh, so it's not, no, not that's a, that was a completely different block, a uh, completely different architecture. This is, you know, basically, you know, more like the, uh, a two liter with a cylinder chopped off. So, you know, I think it's the same bore spacing as the two liter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and even the, the, the 1.5, which is still, available in the fusion and it's available in other Ford vehicles overseas. Um, but they, this is, this is a new one. So this is basic. This one five is basically the engine, the same engine that's in the new Fiesta ST, uh, that's available overseas. Uh, that one is tuned to 200 horsepower. So it's about 20 more horsepower than this one. They but could it's, give it's, us an escape ST. That would be okay. Well, you know, the, that question was asked about an escape ST. And, uh, the chief engineer said, you know, uh, he actually alluded to an escape ST coming for Europe, but said there are no current plans for, for one in North America. So that doesn't mean that there won't be plans at some point in the future. And I I wouldn't be surprised if we do eventually get one, you know, uh, a few years down the road, you know, when they need to, to beef up sales, you know, and offer something new, uh, to add an ST version. But for now, we don't get one. 
but they, uh, you know, but overall, you know, I thought, you know, because this is on the same new, um, you know, front drive unibody architecture that's used for the escape or for the focus overseas. And I don't know about you, Rebecca, but, you know, I thought overall it drove really well. The only real complaint I had about the driving dynamics of the two liter were the, was the steering. You know, the weighting was fine, but there was no feedback at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought I thought it drove really well. And and, you know, I thought it had a nice feel to it and and it was fine. It wasn't particularly emotionally engaging. I and, you know, but yes, I think I think some of the steering could have been better. It was. Um, I think also I was a little disappointed in the drive route because it was just really very straight, like farm roads. <laughs> so I would have loved there were, to have seen quite a few curvy stretches. Yeah, but I would have liked to have seen more of um, more of of an of an urban, more of like of yeah. a of a suburban and urban experience, because again, that's where you know people aren't going to spend. I mean, some drivers are obviously, but I just, I was a little disappointed in the drive route. I wanted it to be a little bit more real life experience, running errands, you know, running in the city, in in an urban, a suburban environment. I would have liked that a little bit more, but overall I thought that, you know, the vehicle was, it was, it was fine. I mean, it wasn't the most exciting thing I've ever driven, but I think for what it is and for what it's supposed to do and for the, you know, the, the competition it's in, I th- I thought it was really good. Yeah. And you know, the, the two liter, we drove an SEL trim, which is the mid-level trim, um, of the, uh, of the two liter. And, you know, one of the things that was particularly noticeable about it was that the NVH was really good. It was yes. very quiet. It was very um, quiet, which, you we know, had, which is in, in, in distinct uh, contrast to the car you're going to talk about next week, uh, which is a more yes. premium compact utility. But, um, yeah, no, I thought, you know, that was was really impressive. And, you know, I, overall, I would say, you know, I mean, it's, it's a very good vehicle. And, yeah, you know, for, we had the SC all wheel drive. I mean, I'm just looking at. Oh, oh, you know, I'm sorry. No, we the one point five liter SC all wheel drive was the one that yeah. I drove at lunch. And yeah, that's, um, go ahead. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's just that, you know, I think it for, you know, what is going, you know, what is really, you know, this is, this is the, this vehicle is, you know, kind of the heart of, you know, what Ford is going to be selling for the next several years. I mean, this is, this is probably going to be their highest volume, uh, non pickup truck nameplate, you know, so of, of their utilities, you know, this this may well sell as good or better than the Explorer. Um, it, it certainly has been, you know, the, the Escape has been one of you know their top selling non F series uh, model for several years now. Which is yeah. weird to me because the the outgoing Escape just kind of sucks. <laughs> well, yeah, but this is the type of vehicle that people want. I mean, that yeah, I mean, hybrid. I got forty six no, seven miles per gallon in that. I I, I loved. I loved the second generation yeah, right? escape. So it was like the, the one that had the, the mid cycle refresh in like 2005 mm-hmm. or six. Loved uh, that 2000, it was 2008. Was it that late? Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, loved it. And then uh, when they updated it, so it basically became a focus. I, it just, the, the one that this new one replaces just never, I, it never gelled with me. It just, it, it was, it, 
it was a step backwards in a lot of ways. I didn't like the styling as much. It seemed it was bigger, but it seemed less functional. Yeah, um, I I get that. I know what you're talking about. It just it wasn't wasn't as comfortable. It was smoother, and like some of those things were improved. It was definitely a more rigid body shell. It rode better. It, it probably handled better. It just it, it that emotional component. It just it just didn't have as that spark to it. That that's I, I how that. no Dan. That's I totally understand. That's how I felt. I was like, I wanted it to have more personality, and I wanted it to feel more like it reflects my personality like even even the you know the the Subaru Forester I felt like was more distinctive like it it communicates something to people about me yeah and I know that's very soft and and fluffy and such but I I don't know I mean I that's how you get people to sign on the line which is dotted right well (laughs) some of the pictures we took are really cool and it looks nice and but I just I wanted to have more of an emotional connection to it than I did. Right. And and I think you know one of one of the things to keep in mind about this new escape is that you know Ford is actually splitting these, you know, what splitting up the escape basically this year. And you know, so you the one that we drove this last week was, you know, that is the mainstream escape. You know, that's right. the one that they're gonna probably sell the most of. And, you know, they have really shifted that more to being more car-like, you know, because that's what the the majority of the customers buying this thing want is they, they basically want a car that's a little taller and has a higher yeah. H point. And then what they're bringing out next year is, you know, another vehicle based on the same platform that they're, they currently refer to as, you know, their rugged off-road compact SUV, um, you know, that you know has been variously referred to in in the media as the baby bronco or the bronco sport and so there's going to be a version of this that is you know a boxier blockier more more like what you talked about Dan with that second generation escape um yeah. you know kind of a, a little chunkier design that is also going to be you know set up more you know for more off-road capability and you know interesting thing about this there was no off-road opportunities or anything like that with the escape to drive. Well, I that. think that's, that's actually, you know, going back to what we said last time, uh, that's probably really smart because oh, nobody's yeah. going to drive those things off-road on purpose. <laughs> right. That's what this other vehicle is going to be for. And, you know, so we'll be seeing that sometime in the first half of 2020. Uh, you know, and that, you know, that's, that's the, the utility that they're going to be putting up against the likes of, you know, a Jeep compass Trailhawk or, or even a Cherokee Trailhawk, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be targeting that market. And so that it'll be interesting to see how far they take that. Uh, but you know, they have that opportunity now because they've, they've shifted where the escape is in the lineup. And so now they have this opening to, to make something that is more, um, you know, more, uh, lifestyle oriented and to give you something to, you know, try to go for that passion. Like you talked about Rebecca. I know. I just, I I'm hoping that it comes out. I hope the baby Bronco looks like that. I hope that Ford, you know, can move more in that direction and in that, you know, in, in a very authentic way, but that modern kind of more emotional style. I mean, I don't know. It was fine. The car was fine. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to driving it and and seeing whether I connect with it um, or, or or not. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the last escape, I just I 
it, it it was one of those cars that does everything fine on paper, and I understand it sells well, but man, I just it, it was dull and unpleasant, uh, and just not interesting to me. And and that's 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 me, I suppose. Um, well, I but, mean. I'm usually the one to say, you know, we have to think about this buyer, but, and I get that there's a lot of people out there that are just A to B, you know, appliance buyers, but, you know, even Cuisinart's get, or in KitchenAids are getting sexy, you know? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Once you, you try the good stuff, it's hard to go back. Um, It's hard. I, so it it looks well, great. I'm I'm glad that they've increased the visibility. It, it looks like it it has actually more space and like all of the actual like practicality, functionality, and then even you know just being good to drive. I think it, it all bodes well. So I'm I'm looking forward to trying it out. And, yeah, and and, and we only briefly touched on the the hybrid, um, you know, which is back in the Escape this time. It, you know, after skipping the last generation, they they did the hybrid and the C Max and the and the Fusion last time. Now it's back in the Escape. And, you know, one of the, um, you know, this one, you know, is significantly more fuel efficient than any other escape. You know, you, Rebecca, you said you got 46 with 46. yours. 46.7 miles per gallon. I mean, that's yeah, I, just insane. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was not trying for mileage. You know, I, I kept, I it wasn't either. Mode. That's the crazy I, part. <laughs> I, I kept it in sport mode during most of my stint, you know, yeah. and, uh, uh, you know, I had fun with it and I got 37 and a half. So and, I wasn't and Ron got either. like 45. I mean, this, was, this was just regular driving. These were the stats that I recorded. It was, I drove it for 41 minutes. We got 40, I got 46.7 miles per gallon, 28 miles and 13 miles were electric miles. Yeah, I got, I got 13 electric miles, but my gas miles were uh, clearly at a slightly brisker pace than yours, yes. I think. Yeah, but yeah, well, I, but that They're, was not uh, trying. Like I wasn't, I wasn't consciously hypermiling, and that's pretty darn good. Yeah. Um, the Ford hybrid system too. Like it is, is it the regular hybrid? Does it have the controls where you can charge the battery as you run the engine? You so you can no. choose when to use it. Okay, so that's just the plug-in that's going to have that stuff. Would be my assumption. Yeah, and um, and uh, you know the the some of the things that they've changed with this one. I mean they they've. It's the same basic architecture of hybrid they've had since the beginning, but, um, you know, everything's been refined, you know, they've reduced friction, they integrated the power electronics into the the transmission. So they've got less wiring involved there, but, um, one the, probably the biggest change is the battery, which is now a liquid cooled lithium ion battery. And it's about half the size of the one that was in the C-Max and in the Fusion, which was also lithium ion, but it was air-cooled. This one's liquid-cooled, so it's it's significantly smaller and lighter. And they actually package it under the front passenger seat, which means that it doesn't intrude on cargo space at all. And unu- very unusual for a hybrid, there's actually a spare tire in the back. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, the, the battery, one of the things they did in that walkthrough that we talked about at the beginning, the battery size was it's so significantly smaller now. It was crazy. It was really cool. That's, uh, that, and that's shifting from whatever it was before. Was it like uh nickel metal hydride? To- uh, no, the, 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 so this is the fourth generation of Ford's hybrid system. The uh, first two generations that were on the escape and then on the, the 2009 fusion uh, were both nickel metal hydride. The third generation that came out, in 2013 on the C-Max and the, 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 the second gen fusion, uh, those are lithium ion, but they're air cooled lithium ion. 
And that battery pack weighs uh, like 45 kilos, so a little over 100 pounds, whereas the new one is liquid-cooled, and it only weighs 27 kilos. So it's you know just over 50, about 60 pounds. So it's almost almost half the size. Good. And the vehicle's 200. It's 200 pounds lighter. Yeah. Which again is just stunning. Like, I mean, that's a lot of weight to lose. I I wouldn't want to lose in a couple hundred pounds. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. That's. It's. I'm assuming he's got more high strength steel and just. Oh yeah. They haven't. I haven't redone it in quite a while. So. Uh, it, yeah, they did a lot with the high strength steel, um, but it still is just you know, they they actually they had they had a nice uh, setup there. They showed us all the different lightweight materials that they used, boron they used, higher mm-hmm. strength steel, mild steel. It was all different kinds, but overall, I mean, losing two hundred pounds in a vehicle that size without compromising safety, as you say, they added a, a spare Sam. I mean, it was impressive. Sam, you actually, and you alluded to it earlier about the user interface. Uh, you got to try out the uh, the Byton, uh, M-byte. The, the, the M-Byte, the, the, yes. just that giant panoramic screen. And I'm not sure how I feel about it. It looks cool, and everybody seems to think it's going to be amazing and responsive and great. But I, I don't know. Was it amazing and responsive and great? Yeah. Um, so I, I visited Byton this week while I was out in the Bay Area, uh, visited their U.S. headquarters, and we went for a ride. I didn't get to drive it, uh, but I went for a ride uh, with their their uh, head of their um, uh, chassis development uh, in one of the prototypes. And then, uh, you know, got to try out this new interface in there. And then also in a buck uh, back in the office with uh, their head of UI and, and user experience design. And so for those that haven't seen the, the Byton M-Byte interior, it has this massive 48-inch display that spans the entire dashboard, um, you know, and it's at the base of the windshield. And Byton is a new Chinese-based um, EV manufacturer. Uh, they're going to be launching the M-Byte in 2021, so it's still about two years away. Uh, actually, I think maybe late next year uh, is when it's coming out in uh, in China. <clears throat> and uh, at the Frankfurt Motor Show, they showed the production intent version of it. They showed the original one as a concept last year in 2018 at CES. And you know, everybody saw this and thought, wow, this is crazy. But um, it's it actually makes a lot more sense than you think it does once you learn more about how it works. So this massive screen is not a touch interface. It's It's not a touch screen at all. In fact, it's far enough away that you cannot reach it. Um, and that's part of the, the design intent, you know, as, as it was explained to me, what they were trying to do was, you know, think of it more like, you know, when you have a, a heads up display, you want something that's, and similar concept to, you know, the, the stand up tablet style displays we have on things like the escape, you know, you push it away from you and up higher. So it's closer to your line of sight. So, you know, it's it's basically right there in your peripheral vision when you're looking at the road. It's all right there. You don't have – because it's far enough away that you're not refocusing as much as you would for a screen that's right in front of you on the center console. And to interact with it, there's actually two touchscreen displays. Um, there's one that's actually mounted in the middle of the steering wheel. 
and wait, wait, there's a display in the middle of the steering wheel. Yeah. So it, um, it's actually not attached to the steering wheel. It actually sits just in front of the steering wheel. So it doesn't rotate. So in, in the, in the center of the steering wheel area, there is, um, there is, uh, about a six and a half, seven inch touchscreen display with a couple of, uh, knobs on the side of it. And below that is the airbag module. And those are state, those stay stationary as you're turning the wheel. You know, so it's got kind of a deep dish steering wheel. So they're, they're kind of at the same depth as the steering wheel, you know, much as an airbag would be on, on any other vehicle, but the steering wheel rotates around them. And, you know, you, you can basically, uh, use the touchscreen you know, practically without taking your hands off the steering wheel, just with your thumbs. So you can tap on one of the icons. Like if you want to go to, you know, to navigation or infotainment, uh, you just tap on that icon, you scroll up and down with your thumbs on the screen. It's actually very easy to use and surprisingly easy, much, much better to use than a standard touchscreen interface where you're reaching out and your arm is bouncing around because your hands right you know, at the wheel. So you, you're not reaching as far. Um, and, and then, you know, the, the, uh, gauges and everything, the, the screen is the, the big screen is basically split one thirds, two thirds, the one third in front of the driver, you know, is for information for the driver, speedometer and rain, you know, battery information and things like that navigation. And then the rest is for navigation and infotainment. And you can even split that in half, you know, and have the, the, leftmost portion of it, uh, for stuff for the, the passenger, if you want. But the, one of the things that the, the concepts that they explained to me is, you know, when you're using the navigation, it basically fills up that two thirds of the screen. And what they found from their research that they, that they did was that when people are using navigation on a smaller screen they're they often spend a lot of time zooming in and out, you know, to see, you know, where they are relative to the route, trying to figure out where the next turn is and things like that. And that's actually a real distraction. Yep. Having that big screen, you're, it's both, as I said, you know, farther away. So you're not refocusing your eyes as much to look at it, but you also have much more real estate. You can see more of the map in one shot. So you can glance over and it's right there, you know, in your, practically in your line of sight and your peripheral vision as you're driving. And it, it's, it definitely seems like it would be less distracting to use than the kinds of systems that we have today. And certainly better than, you know, for example, what you'll find in a Tesla where the screen is, you know, down low in the center console. Um, you know, it's, it, it, to me, you know, the limited experience I had was much better than, um, than any other touchscreen interface. Wow. That sounds crazy. Yeah, I mean, it bodes. Yeah. I think it bodes well for yeah. figuring this stuff I, out. I, I think it does. Oh, and I, I mentioned a second touchscreen interface. There's one, um, you know, extending from for, forward a little bit from the center console, uh, just to you know, just tilt it up a little bit for the passenger to use. And so, you know, what they, uh, you know, one of the things on the the screen in front of the driver, you know, they can tap, you know, give passenger control, and they get, you know, then they'll get controls on that center screen and, you know, and uh, manipulate the interface from there. So my question is, when are we going to see this stuff in the U S I mean, uh, probably, we'll probably see China first, but yeah, probably late 21, early 22. That's not that far away. No. Um, is that like, are they going to bring their whole car here or are they going to license their tech as an OEM? 
No, they're they're bringing the whole thing here. They're they're doing it all in house. All right, we'll see how that works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see. And it's there's there's a lot uh, you know the, there's a lot of work left to do. But you know the, the the car actually you know even at this stage of development you know felt pretty good. The 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 prototype we rode in felt surprisingly buttoned up. Um, you know compared to a lot of integration prototypes I've been in uh, over the years. You know at, at this you know this far out from production. So you know I think it's it's got a lot of potential. And right. oh, the other thing is, you know, this thing is about the size overall, about the same size as a Ford Edge, but the the room, the the rear seat room was enormous. It, I mean, it was just huge because they've How taken so? advantage of the electric powertrain, so wow. they're 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 able to stretch the cabin forward, um, and and back, you know, and uh, you just it's just got a whole lot more usable room inside. But does it's that compromise the proportions of it then? What is it? Does it look no. like a minivan on the outside? No, it looks great on the outside. Yeah, actually. no, it looks looks really good. Okay. It, it, it looks much better than uh, another vehicle that we're going to see next week that uh, we can't talk about, that I can't talk about just yet. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Well, I, you know, uh, this doesn't really do anything, though, Sam, for your um, your opinion that touchscreens don't belong in vehicles. I mean, I'm looking at a picture of the interior, and there's like maybe three or four buttons on the center console or on the dashboard, like, and the rest is all screens. Right, except except the the ones that you interact with are right there at the steering wheel. So that makes it better. Yeah, because because you're not reaching well, so far. This way. I I still would prefer buttons, but if you must you know, shift to, you know, a, a, a screen interface. This is the best iteration I've seen of that yet. Okay. Cause like, again, like you completely miss out on the tactility, which is, I guess that's, that's my biggest complaint. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, you know, uh, and that, you know, that is still an issue, but, um, you know, I think because it's right there, you know, there, you can glance down at, you know, at the steering wheel and you can use that stuff a lot more easily. Okay. They've 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 definitely given a lot of thought to this design. It does yeah. look good from the outside. I mean, if it looks like the pictures on their website, it does look cool. No, yeah. it's a cool looking car. And and we're at this stage where because no Chinese manufacturer has really cracked the US market yet, we're still kind of skeptical and most of us don't really know what's going on in the the Chinese market itself and and so we don't necessarily think of them as, you know, a full-fledged automaking power. Although they, they certainly make a lot of cars and they got brands we've never heard of that sell a lot. Uh, well, I, I say we as the collective we. Um, but, uh, you know, we're going to we're going to see at least one or two Chinese manufacturers, EVs specifically, start to to come into the U.S. market. And it's going to happen really fast at the same time as everybody else seems to be getting on the board with the electric vehicle uh thing too where you know like we've got the, the Taycan we've got Audi um now offering the e-trons so all of a sudden there's going to be a lot of choice yeah the, um, the Volkswagen ID3 which is their golf-sized MEB vehicle yeah uh, is launching this fall in in Europe and then the ID4 which is the crossover is coming to the U.S. market next year so there and and of course there you know there's the the Mustang inspired performance electric crossover thing that ford is building yeah it'll launch here uh in the early part of next year i think we'll probably see that around the la auto show um that that's gonna be a lot and 
you know, whatever, whenever the Model Y gets here and stuff too. So there's, watch this space, I suppose. Um, but uh, I'm curious to see how, because these companies have also nabbed a bunch of talent. Um, and, you know, it's like the, the Rivian, which we haven't even talked about. Um, but they all seem to have uh, some some sort of credibility from the people that they've picked up to work with them. And so we're going to have this whole new wave of just new automakers. It's going to be kind of exciting. Absolutely. For sure. All right. Well, on that note, uh, I think we're, we've, go, we've gone through the list and I think we're done. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll come back with another podcast episode in about a week or so. And in the meantime, uh, send us your recommendations for other podcasts so that uh, we can listen to things that you find are interesting. Maybe. And we'll put our recommendations in the, the post and uh, let us know anything else with feedback. You know where to find us. And we'll catch everybody next time. See ya. Awesome. Thanks.